HuntStand is the most popular and functional mobile hunting app on the market. With a variety of base maps to choose from, satellite imagery that is updated every month, the ability to check the weather, no property information, and even catalog your trail cam picks, HuntStand even gives you the ability to import pins and location markers from other mobile apps. Visit HuntStand.com or download wherever you download your apps. Enter discount code SN20 at checkout for 20% off. What is going on, everyone? Welcome back to another episode of the Wisconsin Sportsman Podcast, which is brought to you by Tacticam. This is your home for all things outdoors in the Badger State. I'm your host, Josh Raley. Thank you so much for tuning in this week. We've got a great episode for you. It's the first episode that I've ever done on ice fishing. And the reason I've never done an episode on ice fishing is because when it comes to ice fishing, I have no idea what I'm doing. Uh, Growing up down south, did a lot of saltwater fishing. Uh, never really had the opportunity to do any kind of ice fishing or anything like that. And so, you know, when I first moved to Wisconsin, that was kind of my first opportunity, but it was always a little bit intimidating. You know, you drive by the lake, you see people out there doing something that you've never done before. You see all the, uh, the electronics and the gear and the shanties and all the stuff that they have out there with them and the four wheelers or the, or the snowmobiles with the sleds behind them. And the guys clearly all know what they're doing. They're kind of huddled up together. And it's like, man, I don't even know where to start. I don't have the equipment. I don't know what to do. So last week, I kind of put out a call here during the introduction. I said, hey, I've been trying to get somebody to come on and talk ice fishing for like a year now. Uh, Can't get anybody to do it. If you want to do it, wonderful. Had a guy named Tony reach out to me through email. And he said, hey, you need to talk to this relative of mine. His name is Sean. Uh, Go check him out on Instagram. So I did. And reached out to Sean, and Sean was instantly like, yeah, man, let's do this. This sounds great. So I'd never talked with Sean before, didn't know who Sean was. But, man, as soon as I got on the phone with him, uh, immediately his passion for ice fishing and his knowledge of the sport, just like, boom, it was automatically apparent. Even though I didn't honestly even know, like, a lot of the best questions to ask him, he was able to take me to school for a little Ice Fishing 101. So that's what this episode is all about, Ice Fishing 101 with Sean Stralo. It's an awesome listen. I honestly wish that I was going to be able to get out and do some ice fishing this year. Uh, To be totally honest, though, I am kind of biding my time for turkey season, saving up those brownie points and days off, if you will, and away from the family. So I'm currently trying to plan out what my turkey season is going to look like. I know I'll turkey hunt Wisconsin. I know I'll turkey hunt probably Georgia and Alabama as well. Debating Minnesota or Iowa. Trying to make sense of their regulations and like how a non-resident goes about applying for for some of these lottery draws. So anyway, all that stuff's in the works. So that means ice fishing is going to have to wait for another year. But if ice fishing is your thing, I think you're going to like this episode. If you haven't ice fished before but are interested in getting into it, I think you're going to learn a lot from this episode. And if you're kind of a novice or like, kind of just an amateur at at ice fishing, I guess, so to speak. Like maybe you do it a little bit and it's not your thing all the time. I think this episode will encourage you to get out and do it a little bit more this year. Now, a few things to get to before we get into the conversation with Sean. First of all, be sure to follow along with me on Instagram at the Wisconsin Sportsman. It's the best way to get a hold of me. I'm looking forward to getting into some postseason scouting uh, and sharing that on the social media page here soon. In fact, I was out in the North Georgia mountains a couple of days ago put on somewhere around six and a half ish miles 
gained and lost a lot of elevation along the way and absolutely got it handed to me. I did not find a single scrape. I did not find a good deer sign at all. It was just really bad. Had me wishing I was in Wisconsin, but uh, hey, I'm I'm convinced I'm going to get on some deer down here, but this is certainly sealed in my mind that I will be making that return trip for a little bit of Wisconsin deer hunting every year. But hopefully I'll be sharing some of my adventures on Instagram. So go follow me there. Go subscribe to this podcast wherever it is that you usually get it. Leave me a review if you can. A written review is even better. New subscribers and new reviews really make the algorithms happy, which means more folks find the content that we're pushing out, which makes me really, really happy. One thing you can do that would really help us out if you want to share this episode with those that you know who might dig it, uh, take a screenshot of your cell phone while you're uh, listening to this episode. Go ahead and post that on Instagram. Tag me in it. I'll share that, and it'll let others know that you're finding this podcast useful. Now, I want to say a big thanks to our partners before we get too far down the road here. Christmas is right around the corner. Uh, Folks want to get you stuff. You want to buy folks stuff. And, you know, to be honest with you, when this episode launches, we're only going to be a few days before Christmas. But, hey, maybe you've got some time for some last-minute gifts. Maybe you're cool with the gifts getting there late. If you're still in the market for a gift or if you find yourself with lots of gift cards after Christmas and you want to treat yourself, you need to go check out our partners. They've got some awesome deals going on right now. First of all, Tacticam. You've heard me brag on these cameras, so I'm not going to do that here today. Right now, they've got their 12 days of Christmas deals going on, and holy smokes, these discounts are really, really steep, like 50-plus percent off in some cases. You can get a 5.0 and a 5.0 wide camera, which you guys know that I love. You can get those right now for just 99 bucks. That is an absolute steal for those cameras. You can also get the remote for only $25, and you can run up to, I think it's seven cameras from one remote, so that's a really good deal. Uh, they've got their Spotter LR on sale for $150 right now. Or if you want the latest and greatest, you can get free shipping on the purchase of a 6.0 camera. These things are awesome Christmas gifts. They're great stocking stuffers. Go check them all out at Tacticam.com. Next up, Huntworth. They've got a site-wide deal going on right now for 20% off. It's late season. It's cold. Grab your loved ones or yourself some of their heat boost gear. They've also got a snow camo pattern that looks really, really good. If you're looking for some good things for the stocking, they've got all kinds of neck gaiters and hats and gloves and all the little accessories that can get overlooked. Huntworth does those really, really well. In fact, before they were really well known as a camo company, gloves were kind of their thing. So if you haven't checked them out already, you really need to do that. Head over to their website to see their full line of products. Make sure to use the code HLDY20 to get that 20% off. And finally, the Onyx Hunt app. In my mind, this is a no-brainer kind of gift. It's easy to give. Even if your loved ones already have a membership, you can gift them an upgrade to the Elite membership, which gives them landowner info and lots of other helpful layers for all 50 states. It's time to start planning your postseason scouting, time to start locating new properties to hunt next year, and even time to start planning those out-of-state trips for next fall, uh, or in my case, for this coming spring. And Onyx makes all of that a ton easier. You can learn more on their website, onyxmaps.com, or search for them in your favorite app store today. Now here's my conversation with Sean Stralo talking all things ice fishing. All right, joining me for this week's episode of the Wisconsin Sportsman Podcast is Sean Stralo from Wisconsin. What's up, buddy? How you doing today, Josh? Doing well? Doing well, man. Yeah, glad you uh, made the time to jump on. I mentioned in the last episode uh, that I did, hey, if anybody wants to come on and talk ice fishing, I'd love to have you on. Like, If you know of anybody, recommend somebody, please, because for the last, I guess it's two winters now that I've recorded for shows, I've had a really tough time getting folks on to talk about ice fishing. And I think it's because I've kind of gone for that demographic of like the uh, the guides 
you know, trying to get like the professional, the quote unquote professional on the show and get them to kind of share some of their knowledge and that kind of thing. And man, just absolutely ghosted, like just zero connections, zero calls back or anything like that when it comes to the guides. But I put this call out on in the introduction of last week's episode and immediately your friend was like, hey, you need to get in touch with this guy to me and send me your contact info. So, man, thanks for coming on. Yeah, thanks for having me. Absolutely. Um, super funny. Uh, the guy that actually recommended you to, or me to you, he uh, is my mother's first cousin. Um, he said that he watches or listens to your show a lot. So he was like, reached out to me. He's like, hey, I've seen your passion for ice fishing grow tremendously in the last few years over your, your uh, social media pages. And I've got a guy that's looking to do um, an interview for somebody that's really passionate about ice fishing. Would you be interested? I'm like, sure. It sounds like a great time. Send him my info. And here we are. Yeah, man. And you know what? I, I was so pumped after, after we kind of made that connection and I checked out your Instagram page and that kind of stuff. And I was like, you know what? This is so much better than having a guide come on the show because I'm not getting the guy who's like, hey, I'm, I, this is a profession for me. I go out and I make money doing it kind of thing. Like, I found somebody who's like, who says, this is my passion. Like, you were telling me off air. Like, this is your thing. Like, I think about whitetails 365 days a year. You think about ice fishing like that. So, really glad to have you on to connect. Uh, but, man, I've got to be honest with you. I have never ice fished in my life. Is that sad to you? Is that sad? I don't want to say that it's sad, but it's, it's really, it's really surprising to me. Um, I definitely, I know you'd mentioned off air that, that you'd lived in Wisconsin for, for a period of time. Um, I would definitely recommend anybody that hasn't ice fished to definitely try it. Uh, with that being said, warm gear is everything. People hate mm. winter. I, my, my belief that people hate winter so much is because they're not equipped with the proper warm gear. Uh, you know, whether that's just a warm jacket and warm boots can make the world of a difference, especially in Wisconsin. We have a lot of wind, uh, this fall and early winter, particularly we've seen a lot of wind. So if you don't have that warm gear, it's probably not going to be a very, uh, a very good time for you. But if you do have even, you know, a, a pair of hunting boots that you swear by that keep your feet warm when you're in the woods, throw those on, go on the lake, you know, a buddy that knows ice fishing you know, do that and you'll have the time of your life. Man, that, that's something that I learned when I first moved to Wisconsin is like the gear that you have, you know, coming from the South, I mean, like below freezing was cold. Like if it got to 30 degrees, we were like, oh my goodness, what are we going to do? Uh, all of our pipes are going to burst. How are we going to make it? Right. Right. I learned a very different way of life when I moved to Wisconsin. And one of the first things that I found out is like everything you wear is just different. Like the clothing that you go to the store and buy, the jacket that you buy in Wisconsin is going to be different than the jacket you would buy in, you know, growing up in Mobile, Alabama. It, it they may even like look the same, but they're totally different. You know what I mean? Just as far as like their ability to keep you warm and the insulating factor and the windproof factor. Oh yeah, for sure. Totally, two totally different uh, ends of the spectrum for sure. Yeah, so I'm guessing when it comes to ice fishing, like there's a whole rabbit hole of clothing that you can get into. Is that right? Yeah, you can. I mean, there's multiple different brands, uh, just to name a few. You have Striker Ice. You have um, Strike Master has their own line of ice gear. You have uh, Ice Armor that has their own line of ice gear. And then you have like 
a lot of people just, they swear by the Carhartt. Um, Carhartt's a very good brand. I don't particularly like Carhartt only for the fact of you do a lot of kneeling when you ice fish. Um, and I, and I say that coming from a person that likes to tip up fish. Um, tip up fishing is the hand landing method of fishing. And a lot of times you're kneeling on the ice, you know, fighting the fish very close quarters. So over time, you know, as the day goes on, uh, as you're kneeling in the snow, your knees are going to start to get wet. Um, so if you have a, if you have a material like Carhartt that absorbs water, a lot of times you're, you're going to get cold, wet knees. Um, now it's not the worst thing. They'll still keep you perfectly warm. Uh, it's just not my perfect uh, or my, my preference of, of gear when it comes to that sort of a thing. So, but there, there is endless options, um, of gear, especially when you get up to this part of, of the country. Cause, um, I mean, like you said, cold weather gear up here is everything, whether it's Wisconsin, Minnesota, Michigan, uh, you know, even out to the Dakotas, everybody knows about warm gear up here. Yeah. Yeah. And man, I'll be honest with you, that piece of gear is probably the number one thing that kept me from diving into ice fishing. Because when I would see guys out on the lake, you know, I'm driving by the lake on a Saturday morning, I see everybody out there and I see all the stuff that they have and I see their shanties and I see their sleds that they're pulling, you know, a, like a bucket full of gear with. And I see the rods and I see the electronics and I see the heaters and I see the, you know, or the four wheelers that they're pulling, you know, sleds out onto the lake with. All of a sudden it's like, man, this just seems out of reach. So I got to know, how did you get into ice fishing? How old were you? And like, when did it, when did that bug bite you? So... Ice fishing for me started at a really young age. Uh, surprisingly enough, my father was never really that big into ice fishing. This man would sit out in 15 below temperatures for a whitetail, right? Like, absolutely <laughs> just breathe yeah, whitetails. Yeah. When it came to ice fishing, he's like, I cannot fathom sitting on a cold, frozen lake for a fish. Like, that was just his philosophy. Now, he would take me. Um, I didn't get to go super often when I was a kid, uh, but I had an uncle that loved ice fishing. He took me, I had a neighbor, um, up the road for me. He took me and the earliest that I have pictures of ice fishing was six years old. So from then on, it was just like the older I got, the more I got into it, the more I wanted to go. Um, uh, the more I was asking people, you know, Hey, I don't have a driver's license yet. <laughs> you know, are you going fishing this weekend? Would you be willing to take me along? You know, I'll help you pay for gas, you know, that sort of thing. Wow. So, yeah. Wow. So pretty quick, uh, you were, you were kind of, uh, hooked and no, no pun intended there. Uh, how did it start out for you? I mean, did it start? I mean, I've also, so like I said, I've seen these guys with all the gear and all the stuff, but I've also driven by spots and seen a guy sitting on a bucket with one tiny rod in his hand, you know, and nothing else around him. How, how did things start for you? Were you, did you jump in with both feet or was it just kind of a gradual progression to get where you are today? It was a very gradual progression. Um, when I was younger, you know, it was, you just, you buy whatever you think is good, whatever is good in your eyes, you know, whether you base your opinions off of information that you gained from other fishermen, uh, if you base your opinions off of information you got from the TV, uh, YouTube, anything like that. Um, it was like, go out and buy this gear. But, a lot of it was just building your, your gear over time. And, you know, when I was young, flashers, sonar systems weren't that big of a thing yet. You know, when I was a kid, 
Bexlar was like just starting to come out with their first their first sonars, and a lot of it was just people knew spots on lakes based off of you know their grandfathers taking them or their their dads taking them, and and these people just know these spots in these lakes. Uh, living, growing up on the lakes or fishing the lakes since they were a kid, that type of thing. Um, you know, so I started out with no sonar. Um, you know, my dad had an, a hand auger starting out. So, you know, whether it was five inches of ice or it was 15 inches of ice, it was, it was a hand auger to get a hole. And, and that was quite, quite a lot of work, I'll tell you. Um, so the first year that he had bought a, a gas auger was like, game changing for me. I'm like, Holy man, this is like the nicest thing in the world. Right. Like <laughs> I can, I can drill a hole in five seconds versus two minutes type of thing. Yeah. So, um, a, a lot of that just kind of progressed into when I got into my adult years, it was, you know, buying my first, um, my first sonar, which was, a I think it was a Vexlar FL one, which is a, a flasher that's used for ice fishing. Um, then it was, you know, getting my own rods that, you know, I felt were, were a good fit for my style of fishing. Then it was buying tip ups, uh, you know, buying whatever you think that is good for, for you, whether that be, you know, Frabel or Beaver Dam. Uh, I mean, I think, uh, high tech fishing, they make good stuff too. Everybody makes good quality equipment. It's just, I feel like a lot of what your gear choices are, are a lot of what you grow up around with. It's like, you know, your uncle had beaver dams, so you go out and you buy beaver dam tip-ups. Or, you know, your your cousin, he had uh, Frayville Arctic Fires, so you're like, man, those things are really nice. I'm going to buy a couple of those. And so a lot of it was just building my gear over time, trial and error too, you know. Sometimes you buy gear that you heard good things about. doesn't always pan out that way for you. You buy it, you're like, man, this isn't really exactly what I was hoping for. So then you go out and you buy something else. And, and over time, you know, I've developed kind of a, I, I think for most casual fishermen, I would say a pretty massive, um, arsenal of ice fishing gear. Um, I went from, you know, not, not a whole lot to, I have two flashers now, an underwater camera, um, three ice augers that I've acquired over the years. Um, one of which, which is a, a, an electric auger, a strike master. Love that thing, by the way. Um, and a whole rod locker full of rods probably like 20 some tip ups in the basement right now. Um, and a snowmobile, a trailer an otter sled, um, in, and clam ice fishing hub, like everything, the heater, like all of this stuff, you just, you kind of just buy over time and, and you kind of think about, you know, what your fishing style is like. Um, and to, to kind of go into that a little bit. So, my fiance does a lot of fishing with me. Super grateful for that, by the way, because not a lot of women do get into ice fishing. Yeah, that's um, huge. She loves ice fish. Uh, but one of the things about ice fishing with her is, um, and not that it's a bad thing, but we usually bring a lot of stuff, right? Like we bring the, we bring the snowmobile, we, we bring the sled, we bring the shack, the heater, the chairs, the whole nine yards, right? I'm the type of guy I can go out on a lake it could be blowing 20 mile an hour winds and I'm standing out there just hole hopping. I'm going from hole to hole to hole jig fishing for panfish, And, and I'm perfectly good with that. You know, whereas she's like, I'd rather sit in the warm, in the warm shack, like be comfortable. I'm like, I will stand out in whatever weather below zero does not matter. You know, just to keep hole hopping. I do not like to sit still on ice fish. Mm. So 
so I'm constantly moving around all the time, you know, looking at the fish over here. Do they move over there? Uh, checking with the camera, you know, just looking at the weeds, what type of structure I'm fishing. So, um, yeah, there's just, I, I feel like the gear options are really endless because there's so much for any style of fishing. You can be as simple as you want to be with it, or you can be as, as complex as you want to be with it. And that's the beauty of it. You know, I, you had mentioned earlier about, about the old guy sitting out there with his pail and his rod. Those are the guys to look out for. Those are the guys that have been around the block and they know what they're doing. I think that a lot of times in, in the ice fishing world, we get caught up in all of the new technology and we seem to overlook the fact that a lot of these old timers, I mean, they can catch fish, man. They can, they can go to a spot they've known for 40 years and they're like, the fish are going to be right here in eight feet of water, right on the edge of the weed line. And I'll be darn you drill a hole. There they are, you know, and it, <laughs> and, and it just goes to show that you don't need all of the fancy fishing equipment if, if you don't want to. And if you can't afford it, you know, some of the stuff gets really pricey sometimes. So uh, you can ice fish with, with as expensive of gear as you want or as cheap gear as you want. It, it, you can do whatever whatever you want. Just want to take a quick minute to let you know that the Wisconsin Sportsman Podcast is brought to you by Tacticam, makers of the best point-of-view cameras on the market for hunters and anglers. They're on the cutting edge making user-friendly cameras to help the everyday outdoorsman share your hunt with friends and loved ones. Their new 6.0 camera has a ton of upgraded features this year, but the one I'm most excited about is the new LCD touchscreen. In my mind, that is a total game-changer. And one area Tacticam really shines is with their mounts and adapters that are made with the sportsman in mind. If you've tried to film your hunting and fishing excursions, you know just how frustrating it can be to try to get an action camera aimed just right or get it attached to your weapon or in a good spot for a second angle. Well, Tacticam makes all of that a breeze with their line of mounts and adapters. This fall, I'm going to be using their stabilizer mount on my bow with the 6.0 camera and their bendy clamp paired with the 5.0 wide camera for a second angle and to make sure I don't miss any of the action. To learn more and check out their full line of products, head over to their website, Tacticam.com, and share your hunt with Tacticam. Yeah, it sounds like the purpose of some of this gear, though, it, it really serves to equalize and, and level out the playing field a bit because... If you didn't have a grandpa who took you out or you didn't have a dad who knew where the weed bed was, you know what I mean? Like if, if you didn't have that mentor growing up who showed you exactly, you know, where the fish like to be, then you have a tough road to hoe. I mean, or tough road to hoe. I mean, it just, my goodness, you find a guy with a bucket and you think he looks like he knows what he's doing. So I'll go over there and sit by him. I bet you that doesn't go over very well sometimes. You know, sometimes it doesn't. And in the fishing, in the fishing world, um, I'm a really big, really big uh, fan of, of respect. And that's, you know, not only respect to the resource, the fish itself, but also respect of other people's personal space. Um, uh, you know, obviously at the end of the day, everybody knows that it's a public lakes and nobody owns it, but it's just kind of an unspoken rule that you, you just don't overcrowd somebody. You know, you go out to a lake, if you see somebody set up in a spot, you normally fish, you can go within reasonable distance to them. You know, if, if you know the weed bed is, uh, 30 foot diameter and they're fishing in, in, a, in a pocket in the weeds that you always like to fish, right? You know, you can probably catch fish in that same weed bed, not right on top of them. So, and I feel like some people, you know, some people don't care. Um, and you know, that's fine. But my personal, for my personal self, I, I think that, 
um, just keeping distance from your people. And not only that, but I don't like to fish in crowds. So I like to venture to places that I'm not going to have a lot of people around me. Um, and, and sometimes it can be good. Sometimes it can be bad, you know, but more times than not, it's going to be good because the fishing pressure is going to be a lot less in the, in the places that people aren't. And the fish haven't had 40,000 hooks dropped at them in the last week, you know, than, than it will otherwise. So, um, yeah, I, I definitely think that, you know, give a guy a space. Um, if he leaves for the day, if he, if he catches this fish, you know, well, how my, however many that is, he wants to take home and eat and he leaves, you know, more than fine to go over and fish the holes that, that he had drilled, um, once he's gone. But other than that, I, I don't like to overcrowd. Yeah. So what, what's that distance just for somebody who is absolutely clueless to the etiquette? Like I, and I get that whole thing. I do a lot of hunting on public land. And, you know, number one, if I see a guy's going into an area, I'm steering way clear. Like, I, I don't want to be anywhere near where I could possibly interfere with his hunt. Uh, but two, I, I personally, a lot of the reason that I go into the outdoors is to either be by myself or be with the people that I have brought with me and not a bunch of random strangers. Uh, so, you know, I, I, I wouldn't want to crowd somebody. But what's a good, uh, I guess, a a good rule of thumb when it comes to how far or how close is close enough or too close? So it, that's kind of a difficult question to answer. And only for the fact that it depends on the lake you're fishing, you know, whether that's lake size or whether that's the spot that you're looking at fishing um, can be a sole factor of deciding how close is too close. Um, you know, if, if the spot you're fishing is, is a, a weed flat that's, you know, 15 feet wide by 40 feet long, um, you know, you, you don't want to be set up to like five feet away from the guy. Um, I would say like, depending, you know, and, and the hard thing is too, is that a lot of guys like to tip up fish, right? So you'll be jigging in the area, but you'll have your tip up spread out further away from where you're jigging. You know, you also don't want to go and set lines right next to his lines either is kind of like the, the, the big no, no, because for one, you could potentially tangle lines and then it becomes a mess that nobody wants to deal with. Uh, and number two, um, you know, the next guy doesn't want you invading his, his, uh, personal bubble, if you will. So I would say if you're just going to a spot to, to jig fish for pan fish, um, depending on, on, you know, how the size of the spot, I would, I would say not more than like 10 feet away from, from the next guy. And sometimes it can be difficult too, because like, you know, that spot's good. There's already multiple people there. Some people will just finagle their way in the crowds and some people don't care. Like they'll, they'll, they'll be like, yeah, you know, come come on in, like join us. Not, not a problem. You're a stranger. Like, uh, we can all fish together type of thing, but some guys get ornery about it. So that's kind of the thing. Like, um, you kind of learn over time to just by trial and error, you know, if you're set up too close, somebody makes a comment to you. You're like, Oh, I don't really want to do that again type of thing. Right. So <laughs> yeah, you, you kind of, you kind of learn in that sense yeah. as well. Yeah. Um, and some people aren't afraid to speak their mind. Um, and you'll find that out in a hurry, but I like to think that a majority of, uh, of outdoorsmen are, you know, respectable kind of individuals that just want to be out there and have a good time. Um, and it won't be that way, but you do run into the one off every now and again, that is like, you know, don't look at me, don't talk to me, don't come by me type of thing, just not friendly. Um, and that's fine. But, um, yeah, I, w- I would say I would say that general uh, 10 feet rule uh, is, is pretty, I think, I think okay. Okay. All right. So I, I'm getting ready then. Like, I'm, I'm, I'm ready to head out for my first trip. 
Uh, you are the guy that I drove past at the lake when I see all that gear, and I think I could never do that. Uh, <laughs> I know I don't want to get too close to somebody. What would you say is like the essential gear to just dip my toe in, have a good time, and enjoy myself, be somewhat comfortable? Like maybe I don't have to, you know, be hardcore and just freeze the entire time. Like what do you? What would you say I have to have before I can get out there on the ice? So I would say number one is a good warm pair of boots. Uh, I mentioned earlier that it's going to make a world of difference. If your feet are cold, your day is pretty much going to be over. You're not going to enjoy yourself. Um, you're just going to be miserable the whole time. So a, a good warm pair of boots, whether that be, you know, like a knee-high style rubber boot or it's just a hunting boot uh, that's water-resistant, waterproof, um, you know, some of those boots too, if you're going to be drilling holes, when you pull the auger back up out of the ice, the water will come out. Uh, if you're not wearing any like sort of a waterproofing outside of a boot, get water inside of your boot. Again, your feet are going to get cold. It's going to be a bad time. So boots, number one, I would say, um, under layers is, is the second thing. So, you know, whether that be, um, like dry fit clothing underneath skin tight, uh, sweatshirt jeans. Um, you don't have to go super fancy whether you can just wear, like I said, like a Carhartt jacket, um, depending on your style of, of being outside, you can, you can go with a warm hat. You don't have to have a warm hat on it. And you know, and a lot of that kind of factors into watching the weather too, you know, uh, you, you start looking at the, the next weekend, the weekend that you're already fishing. So me, I'm out of the, I'm out on the lake Saturday, right? I'm already looking at the seven, 10 day forecast for the next week. I'm looking at temperatures. I'm looking at precipitation. I'm looking at moon phases, all of that fancy stuff. Um, but, you're really basing your, your outfit off of what the weather is going to be like. Is it going to be 25 mile an hour winds? And is it going to be, you know, five degrees out or is it going to be 35 and sunny? Um, that type of thing. So I would say boots, some warm clothing, and then, you know, to get out there and just, and just fish, you're all you're really looking at. You can go with a, with a hand dogger. I, I think that hand dogger technology nowadays is way better than it ever has been. And they make some some pretty sharp blades on those things, so you can you can cut through ice pretty fast um, with those things. And a jig pole, a couple of jigs you can get from the bait shop, and you can you can get wax worms or go the route of um, of plastics, which is just an alternate um, bait that you use that's a little a little longer lasting. You don't have to be replacing it every time you catch a fish or so. Um, but yeah, as far as that, and obviously a pail, you, you know, you don't want to be carrying everything by hand. A lot of guys I see, you go out, you have a hand auger, you have a pail, you have everything in your pail. So then you, know, you're, you have an auger in one hand, a pail in the other hand, you're walking on the lake and, and you're going to your spot, you're setting up and it can be as simple as that. So for not a whole lot of money, you can be, you can be out there having a good time. One of the things I, I almost did, and I, I was afraid that I would be laughed off the ice. I thought about taking my turkey blind out there and just setting setting that up to try to keep out of the wind a little bit. Do you ever see anybody using that kind of stuff? Oh yeah. Uh, I don't, I don't think that anybody would, would laugh at you. Um, I, I think that it's actually like relatively common to see that type of stuff. Okay. on the ice Cause you know, I mean, not everybody has the, the luxury of, of buying all sorts of different types of stuff, right? Like, you know, if you love Turkey hunting, you have a Turkey blind, you love ice fishing, you could have a, you could have a ice fishing shack. Uh, but not everybody has that. So I certainly think that using a Turkey blind, just as a windbreak is perfectly fine. Um, and I don't think anybody would look at you. I mean, after all, it's Wisconsin. There's, we have all types of, uh, of different, <laughs> different 
you know, you, you have the the different classes of, of people that, that like the outdoors and, and how they view uh, the experience for themselves. So uh, turkey blind, perfectly acceptable. So let, let's talk a little bit now about your um, preferred methods of fishing and your preferred species to target. Like I've had guys on the show before. We talked about uh, dark house spearing, which is really niche, you know, really specific as to what you're after. We also talked about sturgeon spearing, which again is really niche. We've also had folks come on to talk about uh, fly fishing in the driftless or fly fishing for trout, you know, out West and that kind of stuff. I've never talked to somebody about ice fishing specifically, and I think it's probably a little bit of a different vibe. So are you out there targeting specific species or are you out there for just whatever bites? So a lot of times I, I am out there targeting whatever species I'm perfectly happy with whatever will bite, you know, if, if I'm out there targeting walleyes and crappies and I get a, and I get a bass on, I'm not going to be disappointed. That's for sure. Um, I mean, catching a fish is catching a fish at the end of the day. And I think it excites even the, the somebody that's not very interested in fishing. So, you know, my favorite target are, would be walleyes, crappies through the ice. Um, if you can get on a, on a good big bluegill bite, that can be a lot of fun too. Uh, Northern pike can be very fun. They, they can put up a very good fight. You know, some of the more sizable fish will give you a run for your money for sure. Um, but yeah, definitely, uh, I would say like those four species are, uh, my favorite. If I had to narrow it down to just like one species, I would say nighttime walleye fishing is probably what takes the cake for me. Mm, why, why? Well, okay. I, I gotta hear this. Why walleye? And then why at night? I feel like over the years, the legend of the walleye is like the elusive fish that everybody wants to catch, right? They taste good. Yeah. Uh, they put they put up a good fight, but they're very smart fish. And their, their most active feeding times are um, in morning, right before it gets light out and after dusk. So for me, setting, going onto a lake, setting up right before dark for walleyes, um, you got your tip ups out there and you have, you have these little lights that you put on your tip-ups. And basically, while the light is, is it goes on the flag. So when you, when you put the flag down on the trip system, when the flag goes up, there's a, there's a little connection on the inside. When the flag goes uh, vertical in the air, the connection is made, and the light will blink on and off. So you're alerted that, that you have a flag and that there's a fish that's you know, potentially on the other end of your line. You don't know that for sure. Um, but it's, it's super peaceful. Um, just being on the ice at night, not a lot of people do it. A lot of people are just like daytime, come out for the day, you know, whether it's take the kids out, uh, if you just want to get away from the wife for a few hours. Uh, <laughs> a, lot of, a lot of people just prefer the daytime fishing. And don't get me wrong, I, I do like my daytime fishing as well, but there's just a whole other aspect of fishing walleyes at nighttime. Um, and it's just, it's peaceful the fish are always super active. You a lot of times can rely on the bite being fairly good, even on days that it's projected to be bad, uh, just because the fish feed after dark. So, um, you know, and a lot of guys that do, uh, that do fishing trips up to like Lake of the woods and stuff, you know, they do like overnighters out on the ice and in, in these ice castles, really nice, like camper style ice fishing, uh, shack. And, you know, they'll be fishing all night long and they'll have like rattle reels set up inside of the shack that'll alert them. You know, it'll have bells in it that'll, that'll jingle when the <laughs> fish start taking the line and they'll wake up and, and, you know, they'll be catching fish in the middle of sleeping. 
and I, it's just it's something about the aspect of being able to fish um, at, at such a peaceful time of the day uh, just really just really gets me. This episode is brought to you by the Onyx Hunt app. Onyx gives you up-to-date landowner information, color-coded public and private land boundaries, and gives you a ton of tools to help you hunt smarter. One tool I'm loving right now is their optimal wind feature, which lets you set the optimal wind for a given location, then tells you in real time whether the wind is good, bad, or just okay for that spot. You can try it risk-free for seven days right now. Just download the Onyx Hunt app on your preferred app store today. Those little, like as you call them, ice castle things that you can go and, and rent for a night or two, that looks amazing. Like, that to me is like the way to, to do it to get my introduction to uh, to ice fishing. That that would be really tough to beat. Um, when it comes to fishing in like spring, summer, fall, I, I get, you know, targeting different species, you know, around different things. So if you're fishing for bass, you're going to do it a little bit different than if you're fishing for walleye. And that's going to be a little different than if you're fishing for crappie. How much different is it during the winter as well? Or do you, do you find just kind of, a collection of fish that are just a, a mashup of whatever's there? Or is there a lot different when it comes to uh, your setup, the depth of water, the kind of structure that you're around, the, the, the clarity of the water, even where you are, is there a lot different, you know, given whatever species you're after? I would say it's, it's pretty standard. Um, as far as open water fishing goes, you're going to find the fish in a lot of the same places that you would in the boat. Um, they don't really move around that much. Okay. A lot of times, um, like early ice. So in the, in the late fall and a lot of, a lot of guys who are big into fishing will know that fish put on the feed bag in the fall time, right? Like right before the ice goes on super aggressive, they're feeding, getting stocked up for the winter time because when that ice gets thick and the oxygen levels get low, they're going to be lethargic. They're not going to really be feeding much. So they're trying to get the feed bag on, you know, now versus then. So what you'll find early ice is a lot of shallower, really aggressive fish in, in uh, very oxygenated weeds. And, and you can fish them uh, anywhere from 12 foot all the way down to like four feet of water. Um, and, and so those fish, a lot of times, will be in those same places until midwinter. Midwinter, when the oxygen levels are low, you'll see like the crappies and bluegills. They'll start to venture out into the basins if there's like a basin and a lake where you have like a large area that's, you know, 20 to 30 feet deep. Oxygen levels are a little bit higher out there yet, and they'll suspend over the basins looking for food. Um, so that's a little bit different of a style of fishing, but fish will also, you'll have resident fish that will stay in the weeds all throughout the winter too. Um, so you can always go to those places. But my general rule of thumb is if I'm, if I'm trying to break down a new lake and I'm going out to a new spot, if I can find weeds and I can find panfish in the weeds, I can almost guarantee there's going to be game fish around. Um, cause wherever there's food, there's going to be a predator. So, you know, whether the fish are feeding on bugs in the weeds, the panfish are chances are there's a Northern pike that's lurking by looking for a good, easy meal as well. So if you, if you can find, uh, you know, weeds or sunken timber or anything that you can find panfish around, very good a possibility that you'll be able to find a game fish of some sort lurking by. Um, you can throw a tip up with a minnow down. You can, uh, a lot of guys I've been seeing recently using um, what's called jaw jackers. It's a, a system kind of like a tip up in the sense that you can just set the line on a reel and a rod and reel versus hand lining. Um, I've been seeing a lot of guys doing that recently. 
set one of those out while you're pan fishing, uh, very good chance you'll get bit by something big. Man, so uh, one question that I have, <clears throat> I grew up doing a lot of saltwater fishing, and we would fish around reefs and rigs and that kind of stuff, and you've got a ton of line out when you're when you're doing this. I mean, it, it wouldn't be odd to have, you know, 150 plus feet of line, you know, out of your, out of your rod. And, you know, it'd be way down there with, you know, eight ounces of weight on there. We would use uh, circle hooks. Are you familiar with those? Yep. Okay. So do you guys use those for, for ice fishing as well? It seems like they'd be really useful. So uh, there actually has been a lot more of that coming into the ice fishing scene recently. Okay. Um, Typically what I like to use for my tip ups, tip downs, um, I can touch tip downs a little bit later, but for my tip ups and my game fish, um, I'm a big fan of treble hooks. They're just a really reliable hook. Um, you have three hooks versus one. Uh, but I have been hearing and seeing a lot of guys going to circle hooks. And for the fact that they're so reliable on getting a corner hooked mouth uh, fish, and, and that can play a huge part in landing that fish too and making sure that the fish is healthy if you plan on releasing it. Um, you know, a lot of times if these fish are, are swallowing the bait and you have a treble hook on, you're probably going to hook it in, in, you know, in the back of the mouth of the throat. Uh, it may, may cause a little bit of a rough um, time getting it out. You know, you might end up having to keep the fish instead of planning on releasing it or, you know, that sort of a thing. Whereas I've been seeing a lot of circle hooks, you have the, you have the one hook and, the very good likeliness that it's going to go in the corner of the mouth. You're going to get, um, especially for like, uh, pike, anything toothy, anything that's going to cut your line when you're fighting it. If you have a corner, if you have a fish that's hooked in the corner of the mouth, the line is more than likely going to be out of the mouth. So you're not going to have to worry about the line, you know, cutting across the teeth and breaking on you or anything like that. So yeah, definitely, um, have been seeing more of the circle hooks coming into play with ice fishing recently. Yeah, I was wondering about that because, I mean, one, it just seems really useful uh, for, for the, you know, specifically what you guys are doing. And then, two, the whole catch and release thing. We talked about that just a little bit off air. But if, if you've got a catch and release, man, in my mind, circle hooks are really tough to beat. If it's, uh, you know, I mean, you could go barbless if you hate catching fish. No, I'm kidding. That's for all my, my uh, fly fishing <laughs> friends out there. Uh, <laughs> if you don't actually want to catch anything. Um, but yeah, the circle hooks seem like they could be, could be really good, especially for, for the guy that, you know, wants to make sure to have a, a solid hook in the corner of the mouth and, and release a healthy fish. So talk to me a little bit about how to locate these areas. We've talked about finding, you know, getting on that structure and, and getting down to the fish, but let's, let's touch on how do I find those places to begin with? Like, how do I find the weed bed? How do I find the sunken logs? So I'm not going to claim to be an expert or anything or a professional because I'm far off of it. But... Well, you are compared to me, so <laughs> go for it. So a lot of what I look for, like if, if I'm trying to break down a new lake, um, it, I'm looking for shallower water for a weed bed, right? Typically, weeds aren't going to grow in deep water. Now, I'm not going to say they won't because there are times where weeds will grow in deep water. Um, and you can look for that too, but it's not going to be as easy to locate those weed flats as it will in the shallower water. Um, a lot of sunlight penetrates, you know, in shallow water creates good weed growth. So when I'm looking at a lake, I'm going to look, I'm going to be looking at if there's any bays on the lake, you know, if there's like any notch outs where it's like a, a steady, like five to nine feet of water. And chances are, if you have a larger bay that has that like pretty average water depth, you're going to have a weed bed there. Um, and you know, not all weed beds will hold fish either. 
uh, you'll you'll find weed beds. I fished a lake last winter. I ran all over that lake checking weed beds, and I had good, healthy green weeds all over the place. No fish in them. I could not figure that lake out for the life of me. Um, but you know, and a lot of it depends too on the size of the lake. You know, if, is there multiple weed beds on the lake? Is there one good weed bed on the lake? Um, is there any points on the on the lake? A lot of times, if you can find like uh, a good point that comes out, like a gravel point, there might be weeds extending off of that just on the edge of the deep water. Um, or a lot of times, you'll have if you're if you're trying to walleye fish, find like a good rock bar or a good gravel pointer, um, even like even like a hump that comes up in a little bit of deeper water. Uh, those are going to be spots you're going to want to look at because you're going to have fish. It's something different. It's something that fish are very curious. So they're, they're always going to be looking at, you know, what, what am I going to be going to next? So if you can find, um, say just let's use an example. If you're looking at a map of a lake, right. And you see a bay with, with six foot average water. Um, a lot of times in certain, um, maps and books, you'll see, they'll have on there if there is vegetation down there. Is it, you know, submerged vegetation? Vegetation Is it emerged vegetation? Um, it will say that sometimes. Uh, but otherwise, you can look for stuff like, uh, here's 15 feet of water, and I have a hump that comes up to 7 feet. Uh, there's a good chance there's going to be weeds on top of that hump because of the sunlight getting down to the top of that hump. Um, and you'll have, you'll have game fish. Walleyes will come up, and, and they'll be looking for bait fish, you know, on the edge of those weeds and stuff like that. So, you can kind of break, you can break a lake down pretty easily, uh, by just looking for those three things. I would say any, any sort of, uh, humps in the lake, any points that extend out, uh, that you have fast drop offs in the deep water. And if you have any sort of bays that have a very good average depth, um, that's steady across the board, uh, that you could potentially find weeds in. Yeah. So let's talk now a little bit about, you know, some of the electronics that are that are associated with it. I, I think this is probably a good place to kind of land the conversation for a little bit because, um, man, the technology there is, is huge. I just did a, uh, an episode with <clears throat> a guy on, on, on the other show that I host, and we were talking about recovering wounded deer with the use of drones. And anytime you've got technology that's introduced to a sport like this, um, Man, there's there are all these ethical questions, right? That that sort of cascade once we figure out, oh, we can use this for this, and then it's like, oh, but what about? And you think about all these other things. Let's talk about the electronics, kind of where they're at right now, how you use them, and then you know, I've I've also I've heard people say, hey, we shouldn't be using some of this stuff like cameras and things for for ice fishing. So just run me through that. So there's there's a lot of uh, different styles of of uh, sonar that you can use for ice fishing. You know, that's just like your standard flasher type um, screen where you just have a, a circular bar that shows you the depth. A lot of times um, it, it's just like a like a three color system. So you have like red, yellow, and green. A lot of times red will be like your solid bottom. Anything like green and yellow, uh, will sometimes it can be weeds or it can be a softer bottom. Um, and then your fish will show on there. You'll be able to see them move up and down um, on the sonar that's kind of like your more simple style of fishing. That's my preferred method. Um, now as far as like getting to that, there is some more complex things. Like you can, a lot of guys have been going to, uh, like Garmin makes live scope and we have the, 
panoptics and hummingbird has the live now. And a lot of that is where you're seeing a live image, like a 3d. I don't know if I want to say 3d essentially, cause it's not quite 3d. It's somewhere between 2d and 3d where you can see, um, on certain, it depends on how, how, what the water depth is that you're looking at. You know, if you're in 20 feet of water, I don't know exactly how uh, live scope or panoptics works because I don't have one. They're extremely expensive. Mm. Um, but that gives you like the live feed of the fish and you can see your bait down there. And the, the nice thing about those is if you're, if you're looking at a lake and you go out into a basin, right, you're, you're looking at like 25 foot basin. Now those fish can be anywhere in that basin. If you have live scope or panoptics or, or hummingbird live, you can put your sonar on the water and spin it around 360 in a direction. And you can see out so many feet in any direction and you'll be able to see the pot of fish on your screen. You'll see them schooled up. They'll be moving around and you can, it'll show you on your screen, you know, they're 40 feet to your left. So you go over, you drill a hole, boom, you're on top of them, that type of thing. And then wow. what's nice about those is too, you can see how the fish are reacting to your bait. You can see, you know, if you're, if you're jigging above them, and one comes flying up out of the bunch and you're, you're jigging up to get it to, to get that, uh, the bite aspect out of it. And all of a sudden it goes away. You know, to change up your tactic of what you're doing, because all of a sudden now the fish isn't interested. Whereas like just the flasher style, all you're looking at is color bars on a screen. You can't see how the fish is actually reacting. You're just kind of trying to play it out based off of, you know, the bars of the fish moving closer to your bait on the screen uh, opposed to an actual image of the fish. So, uh, and then you have the underwater camera as well. Man. Personally, the underwater camera is, is one of my favorites for locating fish. Cause you can put it down there. You can see, uh, everything around, right? Like you can spin the camera 360 degrees in any direction you want to. You can see, is there gravel down there? Is there rocks? Do we have, uh, weeds? Are the weeds healthy? Uh, what kind of weeds, um, are the, are the fish in the weeds, right? Sometimes the fish will be right in the weeds. Sometimes they'll, they'll be above it. Um, you can see what depth they're, they're at. Um, you can see how many are down there too. That's a really, uh, another big thing. You know, if, if you're going into a, a weed bed and you're looking for panfish, you put your camera down, you see 30 panfish in one spin of one hole. I mean, you're like, boom, I've, I've found that this is the area. So there's so many aspects of technology that we have nowadays that gives you the upper edge to the fish, um, <laughs> where it almost doesn't even make it fair to the fish. It's like, you know, back in the day when you didn't have any of this sonar, you know, like, like we talked about earlier, you're going off the spots that your grandpa showed you or your dad showed you, or, um, you, you went out and, and found based off of your, um, experiences in the boat, stuff like that. You know, a lot of guys, you know, you find weed beds in the summertime, so like I said, those fish will relate to the same weed beds in the wintertime. You can go back to them and catch fish. Um, you know, whereas now we have all this technology, it, it makes it pretty easy to, um, to break down a, a lake and fish it. Yeah. So talk to me just a little bit because I, I was listening to, to another show. Uh, and one of the things they talked about was, was whether or not the, the use of all the electronics that we have today is, is ethical. And it came up with the use of trail cameras for, for deer and all that kind of stuff, specifically cellular cameras. How do you respond to somebody who might say, hey, I don't think this is fair for the fish. Like, I, I don't think this is right. I don't think you should be using it. What do you think? So uh, I definitely do see that side of it. 
Um, and to it, to an extent, I do agree, um, for a little bit of that, but at the end of the day, you know, the sonar isn't what catches you the fish. The sonar can find you the fish all, all, all it wants to, but you as the fisherman need to still be able to catch that fish. You know, whether it's the technique you're using, the bait you're using, um, how you're using your, your bait in the water, you know, a lot of that will factor into whether you're going to catch any fish, few fish, a lot of fish. Um, so I think it's very nice that we have the technology that we have. Um, I, I certainly think that some of the more expensive options can be a little extra, uh, especially for guys that like to keep a lot of fish. Um, I have nothing against people keeping fish. Um, but I, I certainly think that catch and release practice uh, on occasion is very good for a population of, of fish and, you know, protecting the future of the, of the lake and the resource that we have to, you know, go back time after time and catch these fish. Um, but yeah, I mean, ultimately it is up to the fishermen whether or not they can land that fish. So the sonar is just a, a type of a thing to help them to locate them. And I mean, there's a lot of days where you can go out and you can find the fish and you can see them and you can get them to come in, but they won't bite no matter what you do. So, you know, some days it, it doesn't matter whether you have uh, $4,000 in gear or if you have $400 in gear, uh, the fish just won't bite. And, and that's just how it is sometimes. That's why it's fishing and not catching, right? Yeah, man, that that's so well said. I mean, my goodness. Yeah, you can you can find the fish, but but if they don't want to bite, guess what? <laughs> they're they're not going to bite. I mean, when I when I first heard that, uh, you know, kind of objection to um to using electronics specifically when it comes to ice fishing, it's like, man, you guys must have never tried to actually sight fish for anything. Like if you've ever tried to sight fish for, you know, trout on a stream, or redfish out in the marsh down in the down in the Gulf, or anything like that. Uh, seeing a fish does not mean it's caught. You know, those are two very very different things. Uh, and yeah, at the end of the day, it's a tool, right? And a tool in someone's hand isn't in itself unethical. It can be used in an unethical way, but then again, so can a whole bunch of other things. We, yep. you know, when it comes to trail cameras for deer hunting. Are they ethical? Well, it's just a thing. It's not ethical or not. Now, you can use it in an unethical way, especially if it's a cell camera, but it doesn't mean that it in itself is unethical, and it doesn't mean that they shouldn't be used across the board. Maybe we should just be careful with how we use them. So if, for instance, we have all of the top-of-the-line technology, and we're going out ice fishing all the time, and we decide, you know what, I'm, gonna, I'm just going to destroy this lake. I'm just going to catch and keep every single fish in here maybe we shouldn't do that right like maybe maybe we should take our foot off the gas just a little bit um right for the for the good of the resource for the good of our kids and their kids and on into the future uh of of the resource and and people being able to enjoy it so well sean man thank you so much for coming on the show today i definitely want to have you on again um to talk a little bit about your adventure so you've been out on the water already huh yeah, um, the first week in December was my first time on the ice, and I've been spending, I'll probably spend close to every weekend um, from here on out until ice out on the ice. Now, with the exception of this weekend, the Christmas festivities start next weekend, the same thing through. Um, but New Year's Eve, we actually do a trip up north every year with a group of friends, and we do exactly what I was telling you. We set up right at dark. Uh, we fish walleyes well into the night. Um, we just have a good time doing it, you know, make a lot of memories. Ha you know, we laugh and, and do a cookout. 
uh, it can be a really fun time. So, uh, yeah, I plan on spending a lot of time on the ice this winter, and I'm, I'm excited to see what, what the season holds. Man, well, Sean, good luck to you. Maybe we'll uh, we'll catch up again in a couple of weeks and hear kind of how your season's going so far. Yeah, that sounds good to me. All right, buddy. You have a good day. Thanks for coming on. All right, thanks for having me, Josh. That's all for this week's episode. If you dig this podcast, be sure to go and subscribe wherever you find your other podcasts. If you would, please go leave us a five-star review. I'd very much appreciate it. You can follow along with all my outdoor adventures on Instagram, at the Wisconsin Sportsman. That's also the best way to get a hold of me. Big thanks to our partners, Tacticam, Huntworth, and Deer Lab. Please go support the brands that support this show. And until next time, make sure to take the time to get outside and enjoy the incredible natural resources that are ours as Wisconsin sportsmen.